you would, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Philippians 2, 12 through 16. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. This is the word of God. Now, uh, last sermon, we looked at Philippians 2, 12, and 13, and we said that there's a general exhortation followed by a general encouragement. Verse 12 is the exhortation, it's the command, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and the encouragement is this, God is in you. Remember, God is at work in you. And how much does He work in you? Well, He works in you constantly or ceaselessly. He's at work in you uh, effectually and purposefully. And so we have this encouragement, and we are, uh, I think the title of the sermon was, Get Your Corporate Act Together. (laughs) We are to get this church's act together. We're to set our house in order, if you will. Uh, I kind of hear that quite a bit at my house. (laughs) Uh, Yesterday I was getting the house in order. I did the... uh, what do you call it? Shampoo the carpet thing? That's my thing. Um, sometimes other people do it, but that's my part of setting the house in order. And we're being called to do this, and God promises that this is what He wants done. He's committed to do this. He says He, he loves this, for, it's his, for according to His good pleasure. So we come to this, and we are to set this place in order according to God's will. And then we come to some verses here in 14, 15, and 16, and we have to ask this question. For what purposes does God exhort us to do this and encourage us to get our corporate act together? And he gives us three purposes. I'm going to give you them very quickly, easy to remember. For your sake, get the corporate act together for your sake. Number two, get your church's corporate act together For the world's sake, and then Paul says, also do this for my sake. For for your sake we do this. For our sake. For the world's sake. And for Paul's sake. We'll see that. These are our three points. The first point is this. The penultimate purpose of our harmony. Now I hope you don't know what that word means. Do you know what penultimate means? I know that that music people know it. And I know that English people know it. You know what it means? It's the second to the last syllable in a word. It's the second to the last thing you do. If you have a list of ten things, it's number nine. It's the second to the last thing. This is the second to the last of the, of the purposes. It's important, but it's not the most important. But they all go together. What's the second to the last thing you do before you start climbing a tree stand? Do you know what it is? If you get out there at 5.45 in the morning and you got a big old stand on your back that you climb with, you hook it up to the tree, but before you start climbing, the second to the last thing you do is you take your harness and you attach it to the tree. 
<clears throat> because if you start climbing and you're not attached to the tree and you fall, you're going to hit the ground. You'd rather be hanging. Some people are caught, found hanging in trees every year, but at least they're not hitting the ground and dying. What's the second to the most important thing? The ultimate is for the world's sake, but the second reason is this. It's for your sake. And so for your sake, you and I, we are to work in obedience. For your sake, the church, we get our act together. We are to work in obedience. Look at verse 14. Do all things. We're going to be working in some things. We're going to be working out some things for the sake of the church. Do all things. What things? All things. He doesn't give us a list. You know, I I won't go into this, but how many times would we just love to have a book that had all the list of all the do's and all the don'ts and all the things that we need to check off and we pull out our little little card and we check it all off and at the end of it all we look at ourselves and we're smug and we got it all done. Do all those things. But he doesn't say all those things. He doesn't give us a list. He doesn't give us a little booklet. But he says do all things. Not some things, not, not almost all things, but every single thing. He wants us to think. He wants us to think about every thought. Am I carrying every thought captive in obedience to Christ? Am I doing, am I carrying every word that comes out of my mouth? Am I evaluating every word? Am I doing all my actions to the glory of God? 1 Corinthians 10 31, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So all of this, this command, do all things, it's in the context of obedience even. If you run back up to verse 5, you and I are to have the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ? Here's the Son of God putting on human flesh, coming down, and what does He do? He obeys all the way to the cross. He leaves it open for us to think, am I doing all things in obedience to God? And you and I are not to be discouraged because God is the all-sufficient one who's at work in you. He's given you His Spirit. Remember, we said His Spirit is a spirit of power. So you and I are to do all things. We're not to let go and let God. We're, y'all like that? I Man, I would love to do that, wouldn't you? I'd love to do it. But it doesn't happen that way. You know it doesn't happen that way. Do all things. No idling around. No sitting around waiting on something to move you. No sitting around waiting on something to, to, oh, now I feel like I'll pray. Oh, I I think I'll wait until I feel like coming to church. That one never haunts. Right? So in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we got Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and all of a sudden he sees the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Mayanites and probably a few otherites, and they're all coming after him. And what does he do? He begins to pray and say, God, look at the enemies. They're coming. He tells all the people the enemies are coming. You know what God says for him to do? He says, go over here to this vantage point, and I want you to watch. And I want you to sing, and I want you to praise. And then God sets ambushes for all those different enemies. They all fight each other and die. Did they do nothing? Did they sit idly by? No. No, they had to do something. They didn't have to enter into the battle, but what did they do? They prayed, and they went to the vantage point, and then they sang, and they praised, and they watched God win the battle for them. But they didn't sit idle. Sort of like today. Are you sitting idle? Are we doing nothing? Are we doing nothing in here? 
Do we understand what's going on in this place right now? Do we understand that the Spirit of God is working the Word of God in our hearts? We're not just doing nothing. We're worshiping God. We're giving our hearts up to Him. Like we said, lift up our hearts. That's what we're doing. And so you get to Exodus chapter 17, the Israelites, they come up against the Amalekites. The Amalekites are some bad folks. We won't go into all the reasons why. But God tells Joshua to choose men and go down in the valley. And Moses, Moses says, I'm going to go up on the top of the hill. And they go into their separate places. And Joshua is fighting their next day with all his choice and chosen men. And Moses is up there holding his hands up to God. And he realized, those men realize, as long as those hands are lifted up to God, Israel prevails against the Amalekites. But when those hands get tired, you know, one of the things... One of the, if, you, if you go and you do exercise physiology, one of the things about being an exercise physiologist, you know what the hardest thing to do is? Work over your head. Every time I see men painting with their hands over their head, every time I see an electrician doing work with his arms over his head, I'm going, he's doing hard stuff. It's harder to work with your hands over your head. So he's getting tired. And these men see Israel losing and so both Aaron and her, they sit Moses down on a stone and they one gets on one side, one gets on the other side, and they raise up his arms. What's going on here? He's drawing down all the grace they need down in the valley for them to be successful. And you and I, we look at that. Those guys are fighting down there. And you and I, we're in the valley. I, y'all probably remember this one. I like this one. But we're in this valley, and we need grace to work in this valley, and we have a man on the top of the hill. His name is Jesus Christ, and he never stops interceding for us from that vantage point. You need to always keep that in your mind. You need to always remember that Jesus is interceding for us. Never stops, but here we are. We're not sitting around singing, praising, praying, or fighting it out with swords drawn. Here it is. With swords drawn against the world of flesh. And the devil, for our sake, we need to work obedience in. For our sake, we need to work out grumbling and disputing. Get ready. Mm, grumbling and what? <laughs> One commentator says this is where the Apostle Paul moves from preaching to meddling. Grumbling and disputing. You've got to get rid of this stuff. These two words in and of themselves, just the way they're pronounced, just the way they sound, gives their meaning away. Have you ever heard that, Eric? <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me give you these words. They're both participles. Gongus mon. And dialogus mon. And it sort of sounds like moaning and groaning. It sort of sounds like it. The way they sound gives them away. Well, we start with disputing. What's interesting to know about the word disputing is it's not external. It's not a debate. It's not me and Brian talking and having a little argument. It's not back and forth. This is internal disputing. This is secret disputing. This is stuff going on on the inside of me. That's why the, the preacher said, the commentator said, this is where the apostle's meddling because he's getting inside people's hearts. This is what we do. We have to deal with this. I want you to think about a crock pot. I love crockpots. Crockpots are not crackpots, but crockpots. And crockpot, we have a crockpot in the house. It's, the, it's in the same spot all the time. Plug it in. Put that little, put your stuff, put your meat inside the, 
What, what's it made out of? Ceramic? Is that what it's made out of? Put your meat in there. Put your juice on top. Put your flavors on top. Put the lid on top. Turn it on and go at it for high for four hours or eight hours, however you do it. And all the juices begin to heat up and the vapors hit the top of the glass. And they form little, bu- little droplets and they fall back down on the meat. The meat gets saturated and we love it. Take the meat out. It tastes so good. Well, internal disputing is something like that. It's when we are unhappy with things going on at church. It's when we're unhappy with harmony. It's when we're unhappy with being humble. It's when we're unhappy with loving others and wanting others to come and love us. It always works this way, folks. If you go out and you love people, you'll get some love in return. But what we do sometimes is we just say, where's everybody at? Why, don't, why, why, aren't people, why aren't people coming to love me? And so we, put, we get all self-interested, and we get selfish, and what happens is all this stuff is going on on the inside of me, and all these little droplets and all this, these attitudes that are, I'm not saying it to anybody, it's just going on on the inside of me, and these bubbles hit the, you know, the, the vapor hits the top of the glass, falls back down on the meat of my heart, and I become very unhappy. And if you don't deal with it, by God's grace. It's going to go public. You with me? It's going to go public, and that's what the word grumbling means. Grumbling means spewing. Grumbling means that it can be a low roar. It can be two people talking to somebody in the back room. The talk, bump, bump, you know, a little low roar. Or it can be sort of volcanic And what happens is all this internal stuff, all this unhappiness with how the church is going, all this unhappiness with how my life is going, what happens? It's got to go through the vent hole. What's the vent hole? Right here. Talk about a volcano. You go talk to these. We watched a lot of videos years ago about volcanoes, and you find out that's what they call the volcano, the hole. They call it the vent hole. This is the vent hole. What comes out my vent hole? And if this stuff is not taken care of in your heart, if you don't take care of this stuff in your heart while you're praying, it's going to come out. Impatience comes out. Selfishness begins to come out. Our lack of Christian character begins to be poured out. And instead of pouring out love on people, we just pour out our our upset on people. It's what comes out of us when we don't mortify this stuff on the inside of us that's wrong. This lack of humility, this desire to be served instead of serve, all this begins to come out in low-tone mutterings or sometimes, well, we all seen somebody who gets a little bit too loud. It's really hard to think about these two terms and not think about what happened in, uh, at the Exodus. Y'all all know that, right? How many times have they, I mean, I think somebody's probably counted 13 times, I don't remember. How many times the people of Israel grumbled and complained? They were grumbling and complaining before they were delivered. (laughs) They wanted to to be delivered and they were grumbling and complaining before they were delivered. But here's the key thing. Every time they grumbled and every time they complained, they grumbled and complained against who? Against God. I don't like how you're handling me right now. I don't like how you've providenced my life right now. I don't like what I'm going through. I don't like the way this works right now. This is humbling stuff. 
I just sit here and I go, God, in your wisdom, this is where I'm at. <laughs> Help me to humble myself and just sit here and go through it with, by your grace with God's people. How many, I mean, I'm confessing to you folks, this strikes me in the heart. Instead of rolling up our sleeves and going to work and obediently trusting God, we just let it out the vent hole. And these folks, they were upset with God before they were set free. They went public with their grumbling when they came out of Egypt. They wanted something to eat. God gave them manna. They wanted some meat. God gave them quail. They wanted something to drink, and God opened up a rock, but they were grumbling and complaining the whole time for 40 years. They weren't singing the song, Whate'er my God ordains is right. They were angry with God's wisdom and how He was dealing with them. And I, I just say to you, ask God to forgive you if you've been disliking how He works in you and how He... He's working in this church. Sit down with others and talk things through instead of bickering and grumbling and complaining. Do all things, he says. Work obedience in. Work disputing and grumbling out. Next, for your sake, for our sake, the church works in blamelessness. If we do this one thing, think about this. Here's another one so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless. The word blameless speaks of a church that's being looked at by the community around it, and hopefully we, they find no defects. That's what blameless means, no defects. Can you imagine everybody around us looking in on us and going, wow, I, I, I can't find anything wrong with them. Now, that's what a lot of people don't. Look at that. Did you see that? Did you see how that guy treated that woman or that woman treated that man? That's not what we want the world to think. We've got our work cut out for us. We don't want people saying, I don't want any part of that. Right? God gives us His Spirit so that we can work on these things. God gives us His Spirit so we can be encouraged to do these things, that we might be blameless in front of a watching world. He says, work in for your sake, innocence. Verse 15, so that you may prove yourselves to be innocent. The word innocent there means like a dove, pure. We're to be wine that's undiluted with water. We're to be metal that has no dross. We're to be pottery without wax. Y'all ever heard, I've told you that story about wax and pottery. The master craftsmen with pottery, what they do is they, they work on this. It's so thin. And if there's a crack that happens, they usually the, the, the honest one will throw it away. But the dishonest man's worked all this time and he sees a crack and what he does is he gets his hard waxy substance, he puts it in the crack and he makes it really smooth and he paints over it. And as long as you don't hold it up in the sun, you won't know anything's wrong with it. But if you put it through the sun test, you know that somebody's cheating. You know that somebody's put the wax on there and smoothed it over and is trying to fool you. You and I, we need to be these kind of folks. The Song of Solomon talks about his wife. He says... Y'all need to read Song of Solomon every now and then. My flawless one. He says, my perfect one. This is what God wants of us. God wants us to be flawless ones. Without water. Without dross. Without wax. Pure like doves. 
Another thing we're to work in, for your sake, the church works in the knowledge that you and I are children of God. The apostle's not telling us, the Philippians are telling us, as this good shepherd OPC is not telling us that we do these things in order to be saved, but we do these things because we are saved. We need to work in. How many times did we say? Three times in that passage. You are the children of God, and you and I are to work into our hearts the fact that we are the children of God, justified by faith, adopted, going home with God the Father. I, I think, do you, you know that when, when a, when a court, when in a court of law, when the judge declares that someone is now adopted, the, that judge goes home without that baby. But in this court, God takes us home with him. In God's court, he takes us home with him. We, he's our father. Jesus is our brother. And we begin to walk with him and we prove that we're part of the family of God by doing the will of God. And you and I, are to, we're to work this knowledge in that we're his children and we're to be those who are above reproach. Now, go back to the word blameless. and that word, we said that we're the community of God and when the world looks in, it's not to find any defects. But now this takes it up another notch. This says that it says that we are to be God's children above reproach. That means before God's eye. Not just before the world's eye, but before God's eye. Ephesians 1 4 says God chose us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless or above reproach before him. You have been chosen to be above reproach before God, not just before the world. From all eternity, Jesus Christ is absolutely the spotless Lamb of God. I love to, to say this. Judas, before he, died, before he went out and hung himself, you know what he said? I've sinned against what kind of blood? Innocent. Innocent. Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter 8, he says, Show me a sin. <laughs> they couldn't do it. He's spotless, he's perfect. To save us from our sins, he had to be that on the cross. But you and I are called to be like him. Now, we've got our work cut out for us. We will never be perfect this side of glory. It's coming. We won't, be, we won't have any sin in the future. But until then, we are to be working at it and proving that we love him and we will pursue purity or holiness. So this is the penultimate purpose. This is the second to the last reason that you and I are to work these character qualities in us for our sake. Let's go back to our little statement. We face the world with our shoulders shoulder to shoulder, but when we're in this place, it's coffee time. It's face-to-face time. How can I get along with you if, I have, if I'm over here disputing on the inside of me? And then I'm venting it out. <laughs> i got to work in this obedience and work in this blamelessness and this innocence. And then I can sit with you and we can plan to go out shoulder to shoulder. Well, second, the second reason is not as long. The ultimate purpose for harmony in the church is for the world's sake. How are we going to be a witness to the world if we're not loving each other while we're together? For the sake of the world, you and I are to stand out. It says here in our passage, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now, folks, if y'all ever wanted a description of total depravity, here it is. <clears throat> for all of you guys who like to think about the tulip. <laughs> Crooked and perverse. 
Crooked means curved, twisted. It means turned in upon itself. It means morally bankrupt. It means that we see life upside down. The world, this generation in which we live, sees the world upside down. Just go watch the news. Just go listen to the wrong people. It's perverse. Now, one commentator says distorted and mutilated. And then he said this. He said, just think about ancient times when men were placed on a rack. Have you all heard, what's it, what's it, Princess Bride? And they put him on the rack and they just distort his body. And you know, it's a, it's a terrible scene. We all love the movie. But think about a person walking around distorted and mutilated. Think about even further, arms over here, legs over here. This world is like that. Crooked, mutilated, arms and legs out of their sockets. It's awful. This is a description of the world we live in. And the apostle is telling us here, look what you're going to look like up against this world. Oh, you know, oh man, look over here. I'm, I'm, I'm not as obedient as I ought to be. And I'm, I'm not as pure as I should be. And, and I'm not doing certain X, Y, and Z. But are you even trying? If you're even trying, look what you're going to look like up against that. You hear me? I know every one of us can sit here and go, Pastor Wheat, let's go to the confessional. I'm just teasing. But we can go to the confessional and we can talk about all our woes. But if you're just even praying with your family, look what you're going to look like up against this. I'm trying to be encouraging, folks. <laughs> because I know we're hard on ourselves. You and I, we are in a really difficult world. Really dark world. And if you are going to love and work on these things, you will look different. You're going to shine in among whom you appear as lights in the world. Standing out and shining in. You're going to have an influence. You stand out in a crooked and perverse generation. You're going to shine in. People are going to, you're not just a model for people to see, but you're shining into their lives. Sometimes that, mean they're going to, that means they're going to see their sin. They're going to see their unrighteousness. But at the same time, you have a word. You have a word about Jesus Christ and you know the way and the truth and the life and you know the way to heaven. And so here we are like moon, like the moon and like the stars in this dark world in which we live, standing out and shining in to it. And the only way we're going to be able to do it, verse 16 tells us, it says, hold fast to the word of life. If you're going to stand out and shine in, you have to hold fast to the word of life. Now the word there, verse 16, let me see it. Holding fast. The word holding fast can be translated holding fast or holding forth. I would suggest we need to take both meanings. First of all, hold fast. And then we'll be able to hold forth. Hold fast. How am I going to stand out? How am I going to shine in? I'm going to have to hold fast to the Word of God privately. I'm going to have to hold fast to the Word of God corporately with my people. In this place right now, like I said, what we're doing is very important. Don't underestimate what's going on right now. You and I hold fast. And if we're not holding fast, let me tell you what will happen. We'll become entangled. We'll become enmeshed in the world. And instead of being the lights we're supposed to be, we'll start going, the dimmer switch is going down. We're starting to darken. Here the Apostle Paul puts us on notice that we must guard against all the corruptions in the world. We are to live in the world 
We're not to be of the world. While we're in this world, we hold fast to the word of life. You're to be distinct people, different people, unique people. But friend, the world is there pulling on us. We breathe the same air. We live on the same streets. We worship in a place in the midst of all the other buildings where all the other work is going on around us. We are His children. And you and I are to have the distinguishing marks of obedience and innocence. And we're to be pure. And we're to be those who, call, who are known as children of God above reproach. If you hold, Jesus said, if you hold fast to my word, then you'll prove to be my disciples. Timothy is told by the Apostle Paul, he says, Young preacher man, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Be a good soldier, not of Rome, but of Christ Jesus, Timothy, my son. What do good soldiers do? No soldier, he says, in active service entangles himself, enmeshes himself in the affairs of everyday life. So that he may... Please the one who enlisted it as a soldier. You and I, listen, think about how you need to be careful with the, we, we talk about, we talk about this. Talk about the phone. Don't let this thing control you. Don't be enmeshed. This right here can take you over. You can't be entangled in the ways of the world. Can you imagine a good soldier um, well, are we supposed to go to battle? Right, now I'm playing a game. We're supposed to go to battle? We're supposed to go fight? Oh, but let me finish my game. That's being entangled, folks. <laughs> we need to be careful with these things in the world. Don't think like it. Don't act like it. Don't talk like it. You live in it, but don't be like it. We all love these uh, I, I think I put this in my sermon because I found things that I had never preached about Eric Liddell before. You all know Eric Little. In 1923 and 1924, he's the fastest man in all the world. And if you want to know anything about track, come and ask me because the indoor track season just started. And I love it. He's the fastest man in the world, 1923-1924. He is going to win a gold medal, there's no doubt about it, in the 100-meter dash. He is slated to run for three relays. He's going to probably get at least four medals for the Scotland and for the United Kingdom. He finds out six months before the Olympics that the heats are on Sunday. Scotland is looking for a gold medal from its son. The United Kingdom is expecting great things from its favorite son. And the pressure is on. What will he do? He's a Christian. He's been raised to do all things to the glory of God. He has, reads his Bible. He prays. He lives. This is, this is, he lives by these four absolutes. Number one, absolute honesty. Absolute number two. Purity. Absolute number three, unselfishness. Absolute number four, love. When it came time for all the pressure, when it came time for all the anger, when it came time for all the people to be upset with this man, he didn't catch the contagion. He said this. This is how he reasoned. He said, how can I go and run on Sunday when God tells me to worship him on Sunday? So he worshipped. 
You can't have me. You can't have me. World, you can't have me. You got to say that when you walk out of here today. You can't have me. World can't have him. He belongs to God. He belongs to the church. And this man, he could stand out and he could shine in because he was holding fast. And everybody streamed in to see this guy and they would hear him hold forth the word of God. He preached the Bible. We're coming to the end. If you and I would hold forth the word of God as a church, we're going to have to hold fast so that we can stand out and shine in into this dark world. Well, third, the apostle gives us one quick one. For my sake, do this for my sake, so that in the day, verse 16, of Jesus Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Philippians, Good Shepherd OPC, work this character in and work this stuff out for your sake, for the world's sake, and for my sake. Because you see, when I'm in heaven, I want to be able to point to that guy and say, there's my glory. I don't want to be known as having given all this effort and toil in vain. I want to be able to say, there's the accomplishment of my life. You know, runners, even today, I I read this, it said, ancient runners could be disqualified. Well, runners today can be disqualified too. If they step over the line in a 200-meter dash, they can be disqualified after they, they hit the tape. They ran in vain. You can run in vain. You can make a tent in vain. You can make this whole beautiful tent and somebody can come inspect it and go, this part is not, is, it doesn't have the right weave here. And it can be thrown away. And Paul's saying, look, I want all my toil, I want all my running not to be in vain. And Jesus writes this, I mean, Jesus commissions Paul to write this to the Philippians and he commissions Paul to write it to you and to me. Don't let all that he did be in vain. And Paul would say this, don't let all those grandmothers and those grandfathers who have loved you and toiled over you and worked hard over you and make a tent over you, if you will, all the effort they put into you, don't let them do that in vain. Don't let your preacher preach up here in vain. Don't let your elders elder over you in vain. Don't let your deacons deek over you in vain. Don't let your mama pray over you and your daddy love you and teach you the Bible. Don't let him, girls, listen. Don't let your mom and daddy do it in vain. You hear me? Because you see what your mom and dad want to do at the end, they want to say something like this. There they are. That's my glory. Those are my crowns. Those are my disciples. Why do we need to get our act together? (laughs) For our sake for the world's sake, and for those who have toiled over us for their sake. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, to be driven through this worship service by your word. We pray your Holy Spirit will take these words, work them into our hearts. Help us never to underestimate what you're doing in our lives, even when things don't seem very good. Help us to cling to you. Help us to hold you fast and walk with you and with each other. For your glory, for the sake of this world around us, for the love of the church, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.